Welcome to Simple Truth, the teaching ministry of Pastor Eddie Turner and Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Through the practical and simple explanation of God's Word, Pastor Eddie has taught the Word of God to thousands of people around the world. The following message is from a recent service at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Let's join Pastor Eddie as he shares simple truths from God's Word. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 9. You, when we start to read this, um, I want us all to read it together. You have said it probably many, many times. It's the most noted and prayed prayer in the world, other than, oh God, help me. How many has ever prayed that prayer? Oh God, help me. Well, this is, I would say it this way, this is the second most prayed prayer in all the world. I want you to read it. We're going to read it from the New King James uh, Version. Uh, So I want to, it's on the screen. Let's read it together. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Isn't that a great prayer? Today I am calling our Family Worship Center congregation to set aside the month of May for a special emphasis on prayer and fasting. I want to encourage each one of you that call Family Worship Center your home church to be a part of this month of prayer. Every Sunday this month, we will hand out a prayer focus card which emphasizes a specific focus, a specific prayer focus for the week. And during the month of May, all month long, I am asking the FWC family to spend a few minutes every day, not only on Sunday, but every day, praying over our weekly designated prayer focus. This week, it's on praying for the harvest. And I've listed four things that I would like for you to pray about. Number one, ask the Lord to give you a heart and a passion for the spiritually lost. One of the reasons we don't witness is because we don't think people are going to hell. But there's still a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Still is. Number two, ask the Lord to send laborers into His harvest field. Jesus told us to pray for that. Number three, pray that your spiritually lost relatives and friends will see their need for God. Have you ever talked to somebody about Jesus and they act like you're crazy? They just don't see their need for God. Their eyes have been blinded to see truth. So ask the Lord to open their eyes to see. And then finally, ask the Lord to give us a boldness to share the gospel with others. Do you know there are people that you work with and come in contact with 
every day, that I see every day, who are just one invitation away from an eternity with Jesus. All they need is somebody to share with them the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And they'll accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. But many times we don't have the boldness to do that. So we pray. The Bible tells tells us to pray for boldness. So I'm going to ask you to join me in this journey. If you didn't get one of these, be sure you get one when you leave today. Look with me at James chapter 5, verse number 16. James chapter 5, verse number 16. How many of you had a big breakfast before you came this morning? Six of you. We've already started the fasting, huh? Do you know what breakfast means, don't you? Break fast. That means eat I hop as fast as you can. You break your fast. You fasted overnight, so in the breakfast is you're breaking your fast. Look what it says in James 5, 16. Confess your trespasses to one another. And what does it say to do? Pray. pray. Everybody say pray. pray. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. One of the ways... One of the ways that emotional and physical healing comes is through confession of sin and effective prayer. That's what the Word says. It says, confess your faults to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. So one of the ways that emotional and physical healing comes is through confession of sin and effective prayer. And then the Bible says, the, this verse says, the effective, intense prayer. So if, if notice he says... The effective, fervent, or intense prayer. The effective. So that lets us know you can pray effectively, and many of us, unfortunately, pray ineffectively. Because ineffective praying doesn't make any power available. It's effective praying that makes power available. In fact, I talk to Christians all the time who tell me this. I say, how's your prayer life? Well, I'm not praying. Why don't you pray? Well, I don't ever get my prayers answered. Well, you're praying ineffectively. See, he says the effective, intense or fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman makes... That word, it says avails much in the New King James. That phrase avails much means makes much power available. So if one man praying effectively can make much power available, then how much more can a congregation of Christians praying effectively can make power available? All right? John Wesley said this. It seems God is limited by our prayer life. God can do nothing for mankind unless someone asks Him. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. Now, don't, don't take Methodists, what they're doing now, as a picture of him. He was a holy man, all right? He said this. He had an understanding of God. It seems God is limited by our prayer life. God can do nothing for mankind unless someone asks him. You see, John Wesley had an accurate understanding of the nature and the character of God that many believers today do not understand. Today, God is blamed continually for the violence, disease, tragedy, and poverty in the world. Why does God allow that to happen? Why did God do that? Why did God make this happen? Why did God allow that to happen? God is blamed for everything bad that goes on in the world today. You see, people mistakenly, 
believe because God is sovereign, that He controls everything on earth. And since God controls everything, then the terrible things which are happening are the result of an uncaring God or a God who is angry at mankind. That's what people believe. But that's not accurate. Look what John Wesley said again. He says, it seems God is limited by our prayer life. God can do nothing for mankind unless someone asks him. Was John Wesley correct? Was this Methodist boy who believes in sprinkling instead of dipping? Could he really have caught on to something? That many people do not understand. Is God really limited by what we ask Him? Does the sovereign, all-powerful God need our permission to get involved in our situation? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever, have you ever noticed in the Bible how many times God's Word tells us to ask? How many times does He tell us to ask? Maybe things are, God's not working in your behalf because you haven't asked correctly. Have you noticed how many times the Bible tells us to ask? Here's some. Look at Zechariah chapter 10, verse number 1. This is in the Old Testament. Zechariah. The prophet Zechariah says this. Ask. Ask the Lord for rain. In the time of latter rain. I tell you, this week somebody was asking for rain. We got plenty. We got plenty. Around. But he's talking about a spiritual outpouring here. He's talking about a spiritual refreshing, a revival in the land. He says, ask the Lord for rain in the time of latter rain. Then the Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. Now the rain the prophet is referring to is a spiritual revival in the land. Now listen, if the Lord wants spiritual rain to fall upon mankind, and He does, then why doesn't He just send it? If he wants it to happen, then why don't he just do it? He's God. He's sovereign. He's all-powerful. He can do it if he wants to. Why why doesn't he just do it? Why did he tell us to ask for it? Here's another one. Look at Psalm chapter 2, verse number 8. Psalm chapter 2, verse number 8. The Lord says this, Ask of me, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession." Now listen, if, the, if God wants to reach the nations and the spiritually lost with the gospel, why does He tell us? Why doesn't He just do it? If He wants to do it, why does He tell us to ask Him to do it? Here He tells us to ask. He's God. He wants to do it. Why don't He just do it? Here's another one. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 35, over in the New Testament. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray, ask. The Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now listen, God is God. He's omniscient. One of the things about being an eternal God, he knows everything about everything. And he knows there's not enough laborers. 
He knows there's whole countries and nations and cities without the gospel witness. He knows that. Well, why don't he just send them? If he knows it and he wants those nations reached, why don't he just send them? But yet he says for us to ask. Why does he tell us to ask? See, could John Wesley have been right? It seems like God is limited by our prayer life. In fact, the Bible is just full of verses where God tells us finite, human, flawed beings to ask Him to do something He already wants to do. Why? Why? Here's some verses. Look at James chapter 4, verse 2. I love this one. You want what you do, you don't have. How many got teenagers that understand that concept? You want what you don't have. So you scheme and connive and text and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. He says, if you want something, all you have to do is ask. Here's another one, John chapter 14, verse 13. You can ask for anything in my name, Jesus said, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. You can ask for anything, but you've got to ask. Here's one, John 16, verse 24. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Do you know the Lord wants us to have a full joy? He wants us to be overflowing with joy. And He says one of the ways, or one of the reasons that we get overflowing with joy is that we get the things that we need, and the way to get the things we need is just to ask for them. Just to ask for them. Here's one, Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. I mean, the Bible is just full of these verses where he tells us to ask. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 7 says this. Keep on asking. I mean, you got kids that do that. Mom, can I go? 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 And you say, no, 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 no. Yes, yes. Get out of here. You know why? Because they keep on asking, 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 asking. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you what? Ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who what? Receives. Everyone who seeks finds and to everyone who knocks the doors will be open. I love verse 9. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a a snake? Of course not. So if sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who what? Ask. Ask Him. Could John Wesley be correct? Is God limited by our prayer life? 
Is God unable to do what he really wants to do simply because we will not ask? Does he really want to bless us? And yet he can't because we will not ask. John Wesley said it. It seems God is limited. God is limited by our prayer life. God can do nothing for mankind unless someone asks him. The disciples were listening to Jesus pray. And the disciples had heard John the Baptist teach his followers how to pray. So the disciples go to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And what Jesus taught them has become the most recognized prayer for mankind. And we pick it up again in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 9. In this manner, this is what Jesus said. In this manner, pray. Here's how you pray, boys. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be their name. Now, I'm not going to spend any time on this, breaking this down for you. But let me tell you, it's a pattern. Now, most people just repeat that prayer. But that's not what he's saying to do. He says, follow this pattern. There's a fat pattern of you begin by worship. I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. Hallowed be thy name. Notice it's a pattern to follow, not just to repeat these words. Now notice verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says this. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now before I point out what I really want to point out to you, I want you to look in Matthew chapter 6 at verse number 7 and 8. The two preceding verses before what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Look at verse number 7 and 8. This is what Jesus says. And when you pray... Do not use vain repetition as the heathens do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them for your father. Now notice this. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. He says, now don't just keep saying the same thing over and 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 over again. Holy Mary, Father, full of grace, truth. God is with you. Holy Mary, Father, full of grace, truth. Full of grace and truth. He says, don't do that. He says, that's what heathens do. That pray to a lifeless God. Trying to get some God who can't hear to listen. He says, that's what heathens do. Then notice what he says in verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them. Do not be like them. For your Father knows, the Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said our Heavenly Father knows what we have need of before we ever ask Him. Now, why would Jesus tell us to ask him when he knows what we need before we ask him? He said, your father knows what you have need of. So you're repeating it over and over and over and over and over and over again. is not going to convince him. He knows what you have need of before you pray it the first time. Why would Jesus tell us to ask when he knows our needs before we ask? 
Listen, earth always must do something before heaven can respond. God is waiting on us. We're not waiting on God. God is waiting on us. Earth always must do something before heaven can respond. Look again at verse number 9 of Matthew chapter 6. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now notice verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice how Jesus tells his disciples to pray. When they said, teach us to pray, he says, okay, here's how you pray. He says, you pray that my will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, if God's will is automatic on earth, there would be no reason for us to ask for his will to come to pass. But listen, God's will does not automatically come to pass on earth. For God's will to come to pass on earth, someone must ask. Your kids are not going to automatically serve Jesus. Somebody's got to ask. The finances to meet your needs are not automatically going to flood in. Somebody's got to ask. Divine healing is not going to take place in your body just because you come to Family Worship Center. Somebody has got to ask. Protection and deliverance from the crime and the evil and the plagues and the terror of this world is not automatically just going to escape you because you are a good-looking dude. Somebody has got to ask. God's will is not automatically going to come to pass on earth unless somebody asks. We are living in a cruel, wicked, deceitful, evil, violent world. And we have available to us protection, deliverance, provision, deliverance, and all these salvation and all these other things. But we have to ask. All through the Bible... Even though God wanted something done, it took prayer. It took someone asking God to bring it to pass. Remember, God delivered the earth over to Adam and Eve. God gave the earth and its authority to mankind. Satan then stole that authority from man in the garden. But Jesus came and made a way for man's authority to be restored. And when we pray, And ask God to work in our behalf. We are inviting the God of the universe with all His power and resources to get involved in our situation. He has no authority to intervene in our behalf until we ask Him to. Do you hear me? He has no authority. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why are they acting this way? Why are they doing this to me? Have you ever asked God to stop it? Have you ever said, Lord, this is not what your word says is supposed to happen for me? So I put you in remembrance of your word, and I asked you to do what your word says you will automatically do if I asked you for it? See, this, this pattern has been throughout the whole Bible. God's wanting to. He's, the old timers used to say, God, uh, he's standing over the banister uh, of heaven and he's looking down uh, on a sinful mankind. I tried to do that and I got a hoarse voice. And 
worked up a sweat and all that kind of stuff. Couldn't get two days' work out of two days' work out of my shirt. Had to take it to the dry clean. It's expensive getting into all. Ah, it's expensive. Let me just say it this way. God is looking over the banister of heaven. And he's saying, my heart is for you. I've got plenty of stuff up here to bless you with. My power is unlimited. My grace is sufficient. My mercy is everlasting. It's loaded up. Hey, hey, in fact, the Bible says in Hebrews, he's got his hand extended with an open palm. All I need you to do is say, hey, can I have some? Just ask. All I need you to do is ask. Ask. See, Daniel had to learn to ask. Turn with me to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. I'm about finished here. Daniel chapter 9, verse number 1. Daniel chapter 9, verse number 1. The prophet Daniel. You know the guy in the lion's den you learned about in Sunday school? I love that story. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Asherus who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, notice what it says, I, Daniel, so Daniel's the one writing, he's the one doing the, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord. I learned from reading the word of the Lord. Notice, he didn't have a vision, he didn't have a dream. He said, I learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. Daniel, in fact, Daniel was reading the book of Jeremiah. And as he was reading it, he came upon Jeremiah chapter 25, verse number 11. This is what he read. This entire land will become a desolate wasteland. Israel and her neighboring lands will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Verse 12. Then after the 70 years of captivity are over, I will punish. God says, I will punish the king of Babylon and his people for their sins, saith the Lord. I will make the country of the Babylonians a wasteland forever. I will bring upon them all the terrors I have promised in this book. All the penalties announced by Jeremiah against the nations. Verse 14. Many nations and great kings will enslave the Babylonians just as they enslave my people. I will punish them in proportion to the suffering they may cause my people. That's what he was reading. So Daniel reads about this 70-year period in which Jeremiah the prophet prophesied that Israel would be captive for 70 years. He then begins to figure it up. He does some ciphering, as we say in the South. And he realizes... The 70 years is over. And God's plan of deliverance should be taking place. But it wasn't happening. And it didn't look like it was going to happen. So what did Daniel do? Do you hear, the, do you hear what's going on here? Daniel reads in the book of Jeremiah... That Israel's going to be in captivity for 70 years. But after 70 years, God's going to intervene. And he's going to punish the captors. And he's going to release the nation of Israel. And Daniel figures his up. and goes, well, my granddaddy and my daddy and my, my aunt. And, you know, they were in slaves. And my then back, that was in temptation. And he figured out, he said, 70 years is over. And we're still in captivity. 
But God said, God's word says that after 70 years it's going to be over. But it's not over. So what does Daniel do? Look at Daniel chapter 9, verse number 3. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. You know, some of you are putting up with some things in your family that you don't need to be putting up with. Because God has promised you, you can have it better than this. That doesn't mean you won't have temptations. It doesn't mean we won't have struggles. It doesn't mean we won't have trials. It doesn't mean we will not have challenges. But I'm going to tell you, in the end, the Bible says, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So we ought to be winning every once in a while. Daniel said, so I turned to the Lord. I realized this thing's been going on too long. We're in overtime and we ought to be winning. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with Him in prayer and fasting. I also wore a rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. Now I wouldn't do that. Of course, everything's in style nowadays, so go for it. <laughs> Daniel chapter 9, verse 16. In view of all your faithful... This is what he prays. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem. Your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. Oh God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead. For your own sake, Lord, smite again on your desolate sanctuary. Smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh my God, lean down over the banister of heaven. And listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay, oh my God, for your people and your city bear your name. Verse 20, I went on praying. And confessing my sin. What do we read in James chapter 5? Through confession and prayer, people are healed. I went on praying and confessing my sin. And the sin of my people. Pleading with the Lord for my, my God for Jerusalem, His holy mountain. As I was praying, Gabriel. As I was praying, Gabriel whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given. The moment you began praying, did God want to do it? God said it was supposed to happen. But it took somebody praying and asking God to do it. And the moment the angel said, it, all it took was one word. And God said, get to work, boys. The moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I am here to tell you what it was. For you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so you can understand the meaning of your vision. And he begins to tell him how God is going to deliver the nation of Israel. And it all happened because Daniel read that it was supposed to happen and it was God's will. And it wasn't happening, so he just pulled on heaven. He asked. 
And as soon as he asked, God responded. Now, it didn't automatically happen, but God began to work. Uh, September of 1983, I was 25 and Amanda was 22. We went to pastor that little church in Allgood, Tennessee. And a town of 2,000 people. Nobody knew of that. Allgood back then was... One one realtor said, you don't want to live in Allgood. It's the armpit of the count. And the little church had about 30 or 40 people. I'd... My first call I got on Monday, I got there on, moved there on Thursday, preached on Sunday, and on Monday, I went to the office, like I thought, didn't have any furniture, didn't have any bookcases, nothing. Didn't even have a desk, had a phone, a rotary phone in the floor. Shag carpet. Anybody remember that shag carpet? If I'd had some bell bottoms and a Volkswagen Beetle Bus, I'd have been a hippie indeed. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I hadn't been in the office probably 20 minutes. Just sitting there in the floor. Sitting in the floor. Didn't have a chair. Had to go out in the Sunday school room and get a little metal chair. Didn't have a desk. Just sitting there in the floor. And I was just praying. I thought, well, I'm a pastor now. Isn't this wonderful? I used to think, if I'm at 25, somebody will just let me be their pastor, it'll be wonderful. And all of a sudden, that morning, I was a pastor sitting in the floor with a phone. And I said, isn't this wonderful? And the phone rings, and I'm thinking, the, the thousands are starting to come. They've heard I'm in town. And it's Monday morning, and the phone rings. And on the other end, I said, hello, uh, Trinity Assembly. Pastor Eddie Turner here, God's man of faith and power for the hour. No, I didn't say that. 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 I said, Trinity Assembly. He said, who is this? I said, this is Eddie Turner. Who is Eddie Turner? I said, well, I'm the new pastor. Well, good. My name's Ken Brown. I said, well, hello, Mr. Brown. He said, uh, I'm the banker, your banker at First Tennessee Bank. He said, you know y'all owe me $143,800 and something dollars. And I said, they told me something about that. He said, well, y'all are behind, and I want to know when we're going to get our money. I haven't been pastor but three days. (laughs) And I said, well, how far are we behind? He said, well, you're a couple months behind. In fact... I've been instructed to call you every Monday and find out what your offering is. We get first dibs on your offering. So for the next 50 Mondays, every Monday morning, Ken Brown called me and wanted to know what the offering was. And if we, made five, if we got $500 in the offering, he knew he'd get paid. He'd, his payment would be made because that was the first payment out of every month. That went on for, he called me 50 Mondays, and then I prayed for his retirement, and he retired. (laughs) You you don't have it unless you ask for it. Some of you are just one retirement or one funeral away from a breakthrough, I'm telling you. (laughs) Just one funeral away from a breakthrough. 
He left. Next guy, the same thing. Year two. We finished the first 12 months, and the total income, the money we had in the bank after 12 months, was $27.89. And every week, Amanda was working two jobs, I was working two jobs, plus pastor in the church. Some weeks we'd take the money, that the, the little money that the church would give us, $125, and we'd turn it, just sign the check back over to the church. And it was just a struggle. Just a struggle. By then, Tyler, our little one, our firstborn was born. He was sick. We didn't have money taken to the doctor. It was a struggle. And one day, and I used to have to go, I'd go to pray. I, always ta- I was always taught to pray. Prayer, Granny would just say, just pray through, son. Just pray through. Just pray through. Just pray. I didn't, know, I didn't know how to pastor. I didn't know nobody. I just knew I was supposed to pray. And I was praying one day. I'd go in at... Amanda had to be at work at 7. We had one car. I would go to the church at 5 o'clock. In the wintertime, we didn't have enough money to turn the heat on in the church. So I would bring an overcoat and a blanket, and I would pray from 5 to 6.30. And then I'd go back, pick her up, take her up, drop her off, and then I'd go to one of my two jobs. And that happened day after day after day. And that's all I knew to do. And God so graciously sustained us. But one of those mornings... I picked my Bible up and as I was praying in that cold sanctuary with my overcoat and blanket around me, I found 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you'll have a sufficiency in all things and may be able to abound to every good work. And I realized, God, I don't have a sufficiency in anything and I'm not abounding to anything. And you said you are able to make all grace. That word grace means the sum, S-U-M, totality of earthly blessings and power and equipment needed for ministry to abound toward me. Father, we can't even get our roof fixed. Every time it rains, our sanctuary gets flooded. And you said you are able to make the sum of earthly blessings and the power and equipment needed for ministry to abound toward me so that I'll have a sufficiency. That word sufficiency means enough. I'll have enough in all things and may be able to abound or exceed a certain number for every good work. You know what he says? He says, I've got enough for you and I've got so much that not only will you have enough, you'll have some left over so you can be a blessing to somebody else. And I said, now that's what you said. But I can't even take my son to the doctor. I can't even get, I can't even get the gutters on this roof. I'm having to, me and my wife are working four jobs. And the banker, crazy banker is still calling me. Now this isn't right. I asked you to change this situation. And God, it's not on your end, it's on my end because your word says God is able. So I break that spirit of debt and poverty and I asked you to begin to bless our church and bless my family. And it didn't happen, but I begin to pray that every day. And I begin to claim that every day. God is able. God is able. God is able. Instead of walking that sanctuary, I'd get out there and nobody was watching. And I'd walk through that sanctuary. I'd say, man, there's money coming in. There's money coming in. I mean, there's going to be a day we're going to have to get the brinks 
car out here. So much money's coming in, and they're going to have to get. There's going to be people lined up to give us money. We're going to stop using these. We had those little bags, you know, them little bags you used to pay. I said we're not going to be able to stuff all the money in those bags. We're going to have to get buckets. We're going to get buckets, and it's going to be running over in the buckets. Now, there wasn't nobody in there. It was just me and God and the devil. Half the time I was talking to the devil, half the time I was talking to God. Half the time I was trying to convince myself, you crazy, but just hang in there. Crazy people are blessed by God. And I'd walk and I'd say, I see you. And wasn't nobody coming. Wasn't nobody coming. They'd canceled Wednesday night service due to a lack of interest. Canceled Wednesday night service due to a lack of interest. And I'd walk down and say, I see you full. You're full. Full of people. Full of people. You're full. Full. I see you full. I see, I see we have to have policemen out there to get people in here. The parking lot's full. I just see it. I see it in Jesus' name. Did you say, did you see it? No, I didn't see it. I was just trying to convince the devil I saw it. And I just, I see you full. I see people coming in. Whole families. Whole families bringing their families. Whole fam- Now, I didn't go no further than this. Because we didn't go, the sanctuary didn't go no further than that. So I stopped right here. That's all I had. I didn't have any avenue. I didn't have nobody to call. I didn't have some system to fall back on. I didn't have a family to say, hey, can you bail me out? I didn't have rich people in the church. Hey, can you give us a loan? I didn't know any bankers. I, I didn't have anything. All I had was what God promised. That's all Daniel had. God, it said here after 70 years, I'm a, cap, I'm a slave, I'm a slave, but after 70 years, you're supposed to change this situation. I don't have an army to change it. I don't have any influence to change it. All I have is what your word says, so I called your word to order. And it began to happen. And that little church of 30 people, all of a sudden... 20 years later, they had $3 million in the bank, $11 million worth of property paid for, over 2,000 people every Sunday, biggest thing in the county. And it all happened because somebody asked. God always wanted to do that. God always wanted to do that. He always, listen, He wants to do. He wants to do. He wants to do for you what He's promised you He won't do. He just needs you to ask. So this month of May, we're going to ask. We're going to ask. Stand with me, would you? Thank you for listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Eddie Turner. Please join us at Family Worship Center, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, when you are in the Middle Tennessee area. You can also learn more about FWC at our website, www.familywc.com. Thank you again for listening to The Simple Truth.